Good morning. As you're taking your seats, let me just mention that Susie and I, my wife, wave Susie. Susie and I have been in ministry for ages now, and uh, either as a paid staff or as working uh, just as lay people in churches. We've been in youth ministry, college ministry. Uh, we've been missionaries. We were missionaries in Colombia, South America, uh, and Costa Rica for seven years. And, uh, and I was the pastor of the international church here in town. We just got together this last Friday with friends of ours who uh, have come back from China and uh, we got together with our in Indonesian, Malaysian friends over at Vans and just, we closed Vans down that night because we were catching up with the great things that God has done around the world. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we're so grateful this morning that you've brought this particular group of people together. We know you do nothing by accident, but these are all Jesus crossings that we have with one another, that we interact with one another's lives because it's what you want. It's because your Holy Spirit has connected us together and we are able to help one another in this growth process that we call the Christian life. And Father, we pray today that you'll speak through your word and that you will uphold your messenger and that, Lord, that every ear here will hear exactly what you want them to hear as we minister through the Word of God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you'll open your Bibles with me to Matthew 6, we'll be reading verses 16 through 18. <clears throat> and the sermon today is on fasting. And I think one of the greatest things that we can say is, since I've never seen any of us fasting, we must be doing it right. Because this verse is going to point out that when we fast, we are to do it in secret and not let other people know about it. So let's read together. Verse 16. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men that they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, Put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And so the last two Sundays, we've been talking about giving, praying, and then today fasting. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, as if in one breath, has been talking about these in the same way. In the case of each, he says, when you do it, and he assumes that you will give, he assumes that you will pray, he assumes that you will fast. When you do it, don't be a hypocrite. And to be a hypocrite, it means that you take what is supposed to be done only in secret, and from a sincere heart, and you do it for pride's sake. You do it to show people how religious you are. 
how spiritual you are. You do it to show people that you're a, on a higher spiritual plane than they are. And this is all based on pride that comes from the heart and ego. And so he says, don't be a, a hypocrite. Don't do it for show. And in each case, giving, praying, and fasting, he says, do it privately where only God can see what you do. And so do we give privately? Do we pray privately? Now, we know that there's a time in the congregation for prayer. We know that there are times in the congregation when we fast together for some kind of breakthrough in our church or in our ministry. But most of the time, these things are to be done privately. And then finally, he says, if you do these things privately, he will reward you. And the verse following, verse 18, says not to lay up treasures for yourself on the earth, but to lay up treasures for yourselves in heaven. And so this reward that he's talking about is a heavenly reward. It is a reward that takes place in the kingdom of God. It's not something that we can look forward to in our bank account necessarily. It's not something we can look forward to as far as how big our family is, some reward that we have in this world. But it is a reward nonetheless. And rather than have a reward that lasts for only a moment, that's only temporal, a treasure laid up for ourselves on earth, we should be desiring treasures that never end. Treasures in heaven where moth does not destroy. And so this is the uh, literary outline that Jesus has used about giving, prayer, and fasting. Basically, don't do these acts before men, uh, but do them before your heavenly Father in secret. Now, prayer, giving, and fasting, these are all what we call spiritual disciplines. So let's talk about that for a second. I know when I say discipline, some will turn me off. Some confuse discipline with legalism. And uh, if you've got it in your mind that Discipline in the Christian life uh, is a kind of legalistic thing, then you need to think about it again because you don't have it figured out. <clears throat> no marriage has stayed together as long as Susie's and mine because of romantic love. Amen, Susie? There are times when you just do what you know you should. And then love comes. Emotions always follow faith. Emotions always follow obedience. Emotions always follow doing what is right. But those things are seldom brought about by putting emotion first. And in the Christian life, emotion is not what leads us. Dedication and commitment, the giving of our whole life by faith to Jesus Christ, this is what comes first. Faith leads everything, and emotions follow. And they always follow. They're part of the reward that we get today is the joy, the freedom and the joy that we have in Christ 
is something that follows the faith that we have in him. Now, some of the disciplines are prayer, giving, fasting, the three we're talking about, but also praying without ceasing. Unending prayer, praying all, all day long. Talking to God instead of talking to yourself. This is a spiritual discipline. Worship, fellowship, meditation, memorizing scripture, and then running it over and over again in your mind so that God can bless you with his truth. Meditating on Holy Scripture. These are all spiritual disciplines. But these activities are not a higher level of Christianity when you see someone doing it. That's not what it's about. It's not trying to seek a higher level or becoming more, uh, a more profound individual so that people can see how spiritual you are. But they're a way to go deeper into the gospel. The gospel is everything. Jesus Christ dying for us on the cross. And when we give up things in fasting, and when we dedicate time in prayer, and when we pray and never leave the throne of God as we pray all day unceasingly, we are drawing closer to Christ who gave his life for us, who is our ultimate friend. No one is a better friend than the one who gives up his life for us. Amen? And so we draw closer to him through these activities. It's a way to go deeper as we become as God meant us to be, portable sanctuaries. Everywhere we go, worship should be happening. We walk through this life, temples of God. Worship should be going on in our hearts. We should be in constant prayer, in constant communication with the Father in worship. We are portable sanctuaries. So these are means to an end, spiritual disciplines. They're a way to live a more godly life and to draw close to Christ. Now, I'm a potter. <clears throat> I do pottery as a hobby. And pottery is just a lot of fun. I mean, you just you, you get on a wheel, and you put a lump of mud in the middle of the wheel, and it spins, and you just stare at it. And it's, it's just so comforting. It's just, ah, oh, oh, you know. All the stress melts away, especially when you get your hands into that clay. It starts squeezing through your fingers and something begins to form. But here's the problem when the clay won't stay in the center of the wheel. One of the first things you learn to do as a potter is you center the clay on the wheel. It's spinning and you've got to get it in the perfect center so that when you pull up the walls, you open it up, you pull up the walls, the walls will be uniform all the way around. If it's not in the center of the wheel, it'll get wobbly. Your pot will get wobbly. Sometimes it'll fly off the wheel. Sometimes you just create a pot that's out of balance. Our problem as Christians is we don't stay in the center of the wheel. We'll be there for 10 minutes while we have a quiet time. And then we jump off the wheel the rest of the day. We'll be there for a little while while we're singing these wonderful songs we sing in worship. But then when the guy gets up to speak, we jump off the wheel and start thinking about the rest of the day and where we're going to eat lunch. The challenge of the Christian life is to stay in the center 
of the wheel where the master potter can mold you. And spiritual disciplines are about positioning yourself in the center of God's will. Positioning yourself in the center where Christ is. Prayer and fasting keep us centered on Jesus. Discipline is not legalism. It's a way to enjoy God. Jesus said in John 15, 14, You are my friends if you do what I command. Obedience to Christ, doing the things that he has told us to do, that he expects us to do, these are the ways that we show him that we love him. Now, fasting is about two things primarily, and I want to talk about those two things this morning. You know, when I mention fasting, some of you go, man, I tried that one time, and it was agony. Or, isn't that bad for you? Well, there was a gentleman named uh, Yoshinori Osumi, who two years ago got the Nobel Prize for discovering that fasting is good for you that it does something in your body that nothing else can do, no other medicine can do, and that's get rid of folded proteins. Now, everyone here knows what a folded protein is, right? It's the trash that's in your body. And when you fast, your body eats up the folded proteins, and they're, they're shown to cause Alzheimer's. They're shown to call, cause many other diseases in the body. This guy got the Nobel Prize for discovering something that most of the religions of the world have known for ages, that fasting is good for you, not only physically, but even more so spiritually, when it's done the right way. In preparation of this sermon, I thought, well, <clears throat> I need to have a joke or something that I can throw in. So I went to my go-to place. I went to YouTube, and I typed in fasting jokes about fasting. If you do that, it's a lot of fun because it's mostly about Ramadan and uh, all these jokes about, about Ramadan. I didn't know that they joked about Ramadan, but they do. And then there are a bunch of Mormon memes that you, that you find if you Google fasting. And then also there are Farsi uh, videos, people just laughing it up in a, in a language I couldn't understand. And so. So YouTube failed me on this one. But, you know, I didn't see any Baptist videos. I didn't see any evangelical videos. Saw a couple of Catholic videos. But I wonder what that is about. I think it's this resistance against legalism that we just need to get out of our head. But fasting is about two things. First, it's about balance. Uh, and then it's about supporting prayer. Let's talk about balance first. It's about having one desire. When a Christian desires Jesus Christ above all other things, then they're in balance. But when a Christian puts any other master above Christ, they're out of balance. We're out of spiritual balance when we put media above Christ. When we put consumerism over Christ, when we put shopping over Christ, smartphones, work, people, 
horn. What are your masters in this life? Your only master should be Christ. Christians, after all, are really not supposed to live like everyone else in the world. We really aren't. We're supposed to live focused lives, dedicated to our greatest love, who is Jesus Christ who died for us. If you're living like everyone else, there's something wrong. You need to look deep into your heart and ask yourself, who is my master? Fasting can bring a spiritual breakthrough in your life because it, it's a way to say no to the world. It's a way no, to say no to the flesh. It's a rejection of the world and the flesh and a turning away from wrong desires. That's what fasting is. Biblical fasting centers on God and is for God's glory. There's a story in Isaiah 58, verses 5 through 8, about how God feels about people who worship him while they oppress others and live opulent lifestyles. Let's turn there. Beginning in verse 5. <clears throat> is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only one day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed? And for lying on sackcloth and ashes and putting on a show about how sorry you are? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is this not, rather, the kind of fast that I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe him and not turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear, then your righteousness will go before you. And so in this passage, basically he says to his people that if they don't care about the poor, and they don't care uh, about their needs, then when they fast before God, he will not bless them. What he desires is that they fast from their entire lifestyle and give the money to the poor. That is the fast that God seeks from his people. Now, I, when I read this, I thought, wow, that's so extreme. And then I realized that Susie and I have done this three times. Uh, Back in 1984, we decided to be missionaries. God called us to the mission field. We sold everything we had, except for a couple of crates. We shipped those on ahead, and we moved to Costa Rica, where we lived in an apartment with uh, furniture that we bought there locally. And so we gave up all of our stuff, and we gave up our country, 
and the lifestyle that we had been living here, which was a pretty good one. And we moved to Costa Rica. And for a year, we lived a Costa Rican lifestyle. And we just barely got used to that. And then we packed up again uh, the few things that we needed in suitcases and had a garage sale for the furniture. And we left Costa Rica and we went to Colombia. And we adopted a new lifestyle in Colombia. And we lived there for six years. And then after Colombia, we came back here to the United States in 1992. And our sons had not seen a network television show in seven years. And we had been fasting from so many of the things that hurt people in this country. But you know, when you fast, you discover who your real masters are and what it is about the culture you live in that harms you, that keeps you from having your walk with Christ. And so we learned by going to Costa Rica the things that we missed and the things that uh, we had to adjust to and the things that actually had been wrong about our lifestyle here in the United States and that we were embracing in Costa Rica. And some corrections were made, some balance was found. But then we moved from there to Colombia and we had to do it all over again. And we discovered new problems in Colombia because suddenly we were adjusting to a new culture and a new lifestyle. And then when we came back to the United States, we came back embracing this culture again but it's not the culture we left. It was totally different in our minds from the one we had left. And each time we did it, we purposed that we would not make the same mistakes. We'd make new mistakes, but not the same ones. And so it is possible to fast from a lifestyle. It is possible when you find yourself going down the wrong road when you find yourself going down the road of consumerism or greed or social climbing or self-service, it is possible for you to fast from that and to begin placing the priority on what God places his priority on. And so fasting reveals the things that control us. Pride, anger, impatience, bitterness, jealousy, fear, all surface when we're fasting which is a great help as we identify the things that stand between us and Jesus. Because we know that God can put these false masters in their place if we identify them. Now, fasting is also about supporting prayer. Sometimes we fast because we're sorry for our sins. Sometimes we fast when we're going through trial and suffering. Sometimes we lose our appetite because of something bad that has happened in our lives. Sometimes we go without eating because eating is not important anymore in the midst of a crisis. Sometimes we fast when we're mourning or when we're praying for healing for others. Sometimes we enter into a season of prayer a time of prayer that takes too long to break for lunch. Sometimes we're praying for the salvation of others, earnestly seeking God's heart, 
Sometimes we're seeking an answer to prayer and sometimes we're seeking God's guidance. And probably most Christians fast when they're seeking God's guidance because they want to get it right. They want to hear God's answer. And so they fast. But prayer is not just talking to God, it's also listening to God. 1 Kings 19.12 says that God describes his own voice as a still, small voice. It's a voice that is not easily heard above today's racket and the racket of life. It's a voice that we have to settle down to listen to. I wear hearing aids. Got them on right now. And fasting is putting in your hearing aids and listening to God. Fasting is focusing on what God has to say and taking your focus off everything else. You know, solitude is also a discipline that goes well with fasting and prayer, getting alone. And Jesus said here that we should do what we do in secret. He said when we pray, we should go into the closet and pray. We should find a place where we can be quiet, where we can have solitude, be away from other people and the voices of the world. So going into the closet and fasting from the noise of life. And to engage in a season of prayer, we step into the Holy of Holies. God has given us this privilege by the death of Christ to step into the Holy of Holies, right into the presence of our Father, and have his ear. Now, why don't we do that more? My goodness, that's the greatest privilege in the universe to step into the Holy of Holies through the blood of Jesus Christ and have the ear of our Heavenly Father. Now, let me ask you a question. When you step into the Holy of Holies and you're standing before the Father on the blessed, blessed blood of Jesus and you're talking to him, and then you're listening to his response. Who says when you're done? Well, usually we do. Because we have an appointment. Or because we just can't take it anymore being there. Or we feel like we're through talking. But prayer is also listening. Who says you're done? We don't carry a sack lunch into the Holy of Holies. If we do this right, if we enter into a season of prayer before the Father, we might miss lunch. There's no assuming that we're going to make it to our dinner engagement at 6 o'clock that evening if God comes first in our life. And so when we step into the Holy of Holies, we're there with the Father. It's best not to put a time limit on it. We should spend the time necessary to finish speaking to and listening to God. You know, as far as we know, Jesus had no food with him in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed all night, and he stayed where he needed to until he was through listening to his heavenly father. We tend to put time limits on everything. 
even our time with the person who loves us more than anyone else. In Matthew 17, 21, Jesus cast demons out of a man and his disciples says, we tried to, we tried to get them out, but they wouldn't come out. We tried to do it and we failed. And Jesus replied, this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. What do you mean by that? I think he means, in other words, when you start dealing with a demon like this one, you're going to miss lunch. You'll probably miss supper. And you just didn't commit yourselves to this task. You stopped too early. This one only comes out by prayer and by missing food. It requires a season of prayer. I want us to think about a season of prayer today. And let me ask you, do you earnestly seek God in your daily life? Hebrews 11:6 says that God rewards those who earnestly seek him. Do we earnestly seek God in our lives? Are we, are we just living like everyone else and calling it a Christian life? Or do we earnestly seek God? Is our life different because of the intense focus that we place on Jesus Christ in our life? When was the last time it was more important for you to abide with Christ than to eat? When was your heart so pulled toward him that your desire to eat went away? If we don't have these moments, we need to rethink the kind of Christian walk we have. We need to ask God, how can I earnestly seek you? Teach me in my life what I need to give up in order to spend time with you. What is it I need to fast from? Is it media? Is it consumerism? Is it seeking finances? What is it that I need to fast from in order to be with you? John Piper talks about staring intently into that which cannot be seen. He says that the Christian life is lived in a steady state, a steady state always of gazing deeply into what cannot be seen except through eyes of faith. That this is our walk. This is to walk in the light. To walk in the light, we stare at the light. We gaze at the light. The light is Jesus Christ. And he is the reason why we do everything. He is always in our thoughts. And so it requires stillness, it requires focus, it requires time, it requires faith, it requires turning toward his marvelous light. When we focus on Jesus, we fast to the darkness and we feast on him. I bet most everyone here has gone to a campground and you've, you've sat around a fire. You know, when you look into that fire, what is your back facing? 
the darkness. In the Christian walk, we don't have to turn away from the darkness. All we have to do is turn toward the light. And we are positioned already then with our backs to the darkness. And so what is the answer when you're going through a difficult time of sin in your life? When you're trying to find a breakthrough from sin, a breakthrough from some habit, sinful habit that you have, turn toward Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. Steadily gaze into what you cannot see through eyes of faith because that's where Jesus is and your back will be fasting to the sin that uh, gives you so much problems. The Christian life is lived in a steady state of gazing into what you cannot see except with eyes of faith. There's a song called Find Me in the River. How many of you know that song? Find me in the river. Yes, Cajun's call. My dad old. Anyway, it's, it, find me in the river. Find me there. Find me on my knees with my soul laid bare. Even though you're gone and I'm cracked and dry, find me in the river. I'm waiting there. That's the chorus. It's about a person who has positioned themselves in a dry creek bed because they know that's where God's going to pass by. They know that's where the water, the refreshing is going to come. If you stand on the bank and the water comes, you won't get wet. You've got to stand in the middle of the creek bed to get wet. Fasting and prayer positions us right in the center of the place where God's refreshing can come and, and drench us with his grace. And that's where we want to be, positioned where God's grace can find us. Amen? Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we don't often fast. Maybe we didn't know we should. But you've assumed that it's going to be a part of our life. And so, Father, this morning we pray that you will give us the wisdom to turn away from everything in our life that becomes a master that we put above you. Father, we pray that this morning you will draw us closer and deeper into your gospel where we abide with you in love. Love for the one who gave his life on Calvary for us. And Father, we pray that as we do so, that freedom and joy will be part of the reward that you give us as we go to you in secret and we maintain a place where we're positioned in the center of your will. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.